Hi and welcome to uh, Sidewalk Talk. I'm Steve Fortunato, founder of Shovel to Sidewalk. We're a marketing firm in, in Buffalo, New York. We work with small businesses, uh, help them build their brand, create their advertising. We utilize authentic storytelling. It's something we believe in and we know that's how people connect with people. Well, that's why we have this podcast called Sidewalk Talk, an opportunity for thought leaders in our community here in Western New York uh, to share their stories uh, and hopefully connect with others. And today we have Nicole Overcamp. She's the founder and CEO of Wilcox Financial Group, Buffalo native, Williamsville South. Uh, <laughs> now has, is an author. We'll get to your book in a little bit. Uh, you have a couple of companies going. She's obviously a, a, a businesswoman. Uh, she has a, a, which is interesting to me, have a bachelor's in psychology. Uh, then you achieved retirement plan. You're a retire. Achieve, you're a retirement planning specialist. You received that de designation uh, from the Wharton School, correct? I did. That's yep. impressive. Uh, an MBA with concentration in finance. Um, so, but you're also a very strong advocate for empowering women. You have a, a niche as far as marketing. We'll get to that too. What I want to start with is uh, your. I don't know, is your passion for money? Is it your pa What is it? What got you into this industry? Well, uh, it actually stemmed from wanting to help people. And so I have a background in psychology. My, one of my first internships was dealing with a eating disorder clinic, and I thought I wanted to be a family um, a social worker and attorney. Oh. <laughs> and so that was my first internship, and I had a few others. And, and what I realized was um, and I, I wanted to help people, but I, I was not passionate about um, the the MSW side of things and how emotional it got. But what I really enjoyed was actually running the business office and doing the finances for one of the internships that I had. Um, and at that same time, I was also working part-time for a financial advisor. And so when I got my acceptance letter from UB for the MSWJD program, I had this midlife crisis mm. at like 20. A little early. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so long story short, uh, the advisor that I was working for at the time, he said, you know, Nicole, everything that you're telling me you enjoy doing is probably a good fit for this industry. So why don't you consider it? And so I did. I, I took about two sleeps and, and decided I, I'm going to give it a whirl. You know, it sounded really intriguing to me. And so I got licensed and uh, finished my MBA. Actually, I ended up doing that instead uh, within that same year. So. so it's not you grew up saying I really the financial world is somewhere I want to be. It's not you never no. thought of it until you happen to bump into it. Exactly. So. It was almost accidental. You know, when I was a little girl, I definitely wasn't dreaming about being a financial advisor, nor did I even know it was an option, quite frankly. So well, that's an interesting yeah. point. Why do you think you didn't know it was an option? Well, I, I think because I didn't grow up around money. My family didn't have a lot of it, and uh, my parents never worked with a financial advisor. And so uh, we, you know, I, I actually grew up, it was just my mom and my sister, and uh, she was a single mom, and we did our best. And so there was never an ability to know that there was something different available or help available or a better way, really. It, it was really just, um, you know, getting by and doing the best we could. So there's financial planners and there's financial planners. 
So mm -hmm. what you, there's a, you know, there's a, some people think of financial planners, some of them as, as like the used car salesman kind of thing, right? <laughs> and there's a lot of good used car salesmen out there, right? Sure. So, and there's a lot of good financial planners, but yeah. there, there uh, could be others that have uh, hurt, hurt the reputation yeah. for people in the industry. What, what makes you different? I, I, the, one of the things that I, you had talked to before we went on air is about being fee-based. Mm -hmm. I would assume that separates you quite a bit. Talk about fee-based and what separates you uh, sure. and doesn't make you one of those, the ones we think about. Absolutely, yeah, and and you know our industry is so unique because their financial advisor can mean so many different things. Be it a product sales guy or a licensed advisor, and and everyone unfortunately uses the same term. And so one of our biggest hurdles in starting out was the education part in who we were marketing to. That hey, you know what? If you sit down with us, we're going to help you. We're not going to just sell you a product. And interestingly enough, I I had somebody come into my office office for a meeting this Saturday and he said, you know, I know this is probably just a pitch for life insurance, but I really need help getting out of debt. And I said, well, that's interesting, you know, tell me more. And, and long story short, every time he tried to get financial help, the advisors he had met with in the past were really just trying to sell a product. And so um, I explained to him how we work and, and what we do is we charge a fee to put together a plan, to put together a real financial plan for a client. And what that means, because I think that term is confusing in itself, is creating a pathway for you to reach all of your goals. Right. And so when you think about life and you have the, the YOLO side of things where on one end of the spectrum, you think you could die tomorrow and you just want to have a lot of fun and spend the money you have. But the other side of your brain might be thinking, wow, I really want to make my future self proud. So that in between really should be the financial plan and coming up with that series of compromises to make smart, educated decisions also understanding and being educated on like the why behind it so that you can be constantly motivated and empowered to make wise financial decisions. And so that's really part of the process and it doesn't matter how much you make, how old you are, where you are in your career, it's important for everyone. It's just going to be at a different scale. So uh, I just read um, recently, you know, I think it was a third of Americans don't might be more than that don't even have anything for retirement or a plan yeah. for retirement um, and we're living longer now mm -hmm. uh, do you think we're, we're headed for a major crisis 20 30 40 years from now uh, well, it, that's possible. I, I mean, it's definitely a real concern where so many Americans just don't realize how much it takes to be able to retire well or maintain a standard of living. And part of that problem is people don't even know what they're spending. Right. They they think they have a good idea of what's coming in and going out, but there's so much gray for many people that they're anticipating a retirement on an income that may not actually be accurate to what they're accustomed to. And so when you switch the flip the switch from earning and always being able to make more to no longer able to earn 
it's really difficult. And a lot of people also are, are in that um, bucket of a little bit delusional <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and they think, well, I'll just work forever or I'll work until I'm 70. And the problem with that is what if you can't? What if your body says otherwise? Or what if your employer determines something different for you? And so it's really about, you know, the more educated you are and, and the better you're able to plan, you're really just setting yourself up for more freedom. So if you want to work until you're or 70 that's great but at least if you have a plan standing behind it you may have the option not to that's so what would I, I know I realize you custom build every plan for that's every right. person um, but someone that wants to work till they're 70 mm-hmm. what could a what would a plan do I get it if they get sick when they're 60 they may not right. be able to work till they're 70 if you get sick when you're 40 you might not be able to work right. till you're 70. <laughs> but what is it what are the uh, strategies that can be implemented to to have the in case you mm-hmm. can't do what you want to do so we I always talk about this in business you have to have a strategy and part of your strategy has to be you have to be able to pivot away from that strategy that's right but but how does that happen in in your world so for us it is first and foremost it's cash flow management and understanding how much you're spending and what you're spending and being intentional about that. So, uh, you know, I always want people to think about what is it that you're spending your money on and does it all bring you joy and is it intentional or is it spending without thinking too hard, right? Uh, And and there's that category where a lot of us are inclined to spend and uh, do it because it's convenient or it's impulse, or it's just not well thought out and everybody else is doing it. So that's the first part. And then after you get a good handle on that, it's thinking about how much can you actually save and set aside in different buckets of money, be it short-term and long-term, so that if life happens and you can't continue to work, or maybe you're out of work for a couple of years, you've got that emergency reserve set aside. Additionally, we talk about insurance and that is, you know, some people hate talking Mm -hmm. about it or they tend to get a little squeamish, but if you think about it, it's really such an important part of a financial plan because life happens and we can't always plan for life, but we can certainly be prepared for for what may come about. And if you think about it, we insure and spend money on so many things, whether it's our cell phone, we we buy car mounts for our floor, uh, but, but we typically don't wanna think about, well, what if we should insure like ourselves, our life or our income? And so that's a big part of the discussion is saying, hey, if you can't work tomorrow and you're out of work for five years, can you afford to live without a paycheck? maybe you should consider disability income insurance. Uh, Or worse even, if you die tomorrow, are there people that you love depending on you? So it's definitely part of the discussion in in putting together a financial plan so that you are prepared, but more importantly, being educated on the options with insurance and understanding the different types that are out there, the different carriers that are available. There's, it's such a complicated and complex world in regard to financial products. best that you can do is get educated and then make a decision that you feel confident about so that you know you're prepared. When it comes to life, the first thing people think about, they don't, I'm assuming they think life insurance, not necessarily disability insurance, right. income, short term, long term, there's uh, long term health care, or what's that called? Long term care insurance. Long term yep. care insurance. And I do want to touch on that. But when it comes to uh, life insurance, 
Um, there's those that say life insurance is for life insurance. It's a 30-year term, mm -hmm. and it's if you die young, it's so you can take care of those that you love. Right. It's not an investment tool. Then there's others that say it's an investment tool. What do you say? <laughs> uh, it depends. You know, it, it certainly should not be first and foremost looked at as an, an investment tool. Uh, you know, life insurance should be purchased because you need protection and life insurance, meaning if you die, you want somebody to get a income tax-free benefit, okay? Um, however, there are, there are term insurance policies which are cheap. They last for a period of time, and they're a great fit for young families that don't have the budget for permanent insurance where you can obtain a big death benefit. The con to that is that some people want life insurance to last as long as they do, and that may be beyond a 20 or 30 year term. Uh, or there are some families that want to use it as a wealth transfer mechanism where it's guaranteed to last forever and it's going to pass down wealth to another generation or pay for final expenses. We're all gonna die at some point. Mm -hmm. So people want that to be set aside and, and guaranteed. In addition, there's some individuals and in, in like myself where I have permanent insurance, not as a wealth transfer tool because I don't have children, but because we, my husband and I, decided to give a lot to a couple of nonprofits that we feel uh, that are very important and, and really helped us quite a bit in the past. And so we feel the need and obligation to give back. Mm. So, so that's our strategy. And, and to your question about investment, some permanent policies do have a cash value and it can be used later on in life if it's designed correctly and you understand the details. Um, it can be advantageous and have some flexibility, but it's certainly very different than an actual investment product. Why? So, and, and what about the long-term policy? Long -term. This is for, um, you know, your um, uh, work. I, I, I remember my mom and dad, my dad qualified, he ended up passing away young, but yeah. my mom didn't qualify. Could have used it. Yep. You know, um, explain that insurance and why it's so important and what it can do. What can happen if you don't have it? Sure. So long-term care insurance is designed to pay for the things that medical insurance does not. So that is going to be your at-home care, qualified skilled nursing, assisted living, nursing home care, or adult daycare. And many people will sometimes assume, oh, I have Medicare, it'll cover it, and it doesn't. And the, the long-term care insurance is really great for that donut hole of most middle-class families where we don't necessarily save or accumulate enough wealth to afford retirement and private paying for long-term care, which on average, you know, you're looking at 80 grand a year right now for nursing home care, maybe assisted living, $6,000 a month. Um, it's hard to pay for both. And so long-term care insurance will cover that cost. And for many middle-class families, they've done a great job saving, so it won't be easy for them to qualify for Medicaid either, right? right? So well, that's, that's the five-year look back, the, that whole thing. That's, and that's right. part of the planning and the strategy. It's part of the planning and the strategy. And, and there's truly, you know, I, what I say to clients is there's no right or wrong in regard to long-term care insurance. It's really a matter of choosing the path you want to take. Right, so there's there's the let's have insurance and be covered, or or some is better than none concept, right? Where we're gonna fill this need, or let's hope it doesn't happen. And if it does, we know that we're going to be up against having to outlay that cash flow, and it could impact my spouse and his or her lifestyle, or 
I want to plan for Medicaid and I don't really care so much about what happens because I want to leave everything to my kids, you know. Um, but what I think people don't understand is Medicaid planning can be placed on this um, better than what it really is pedestal. And it's just important that if you're going to go that route to truly understand what that means to Medicaid qualify, what options you have available for you are to you rather on Medicaid because they aren't plentiful like uh, private pay options. And then, you know, what if you have a spouse, what are their limitations then going to be? So, um, you know, and the more education you have around that in in putting yourself there, even though sometimes we, human nature is to force those thoughts out of your head because they're emotional, they force you to be vulnerable, and it's something that you don't want to think about necessarily, um, but I can't tell you how, how important it is, and especially if you have kids, to, you know, most people don't want to be a burden on their children. And so having those conversations well in advance is a family conversation is really critical in your overall financial health. Obviously, the longer you wait, I'm assuming the more expensive long-term care insurance would be. So that's right. Uh, what should when should someone again different for everybody? I understand. Yeah. But when should someone get serious about purchasing it? Well, for women, we we tend to have them look into it a little bit sooner, uh, and the reason being is just the cost. It, it's actually more expensive now uh, for women to get long-term care insurance than men. Why? Because we live longer. Oh, gotcha. Uh, and right. and we're more likely statistically, or, or so the insurance companies say, to utilize it. And and so it, it is definitely circumstantial. Every year you get older, it does get more expensive, and it's hard to get actually. Uh, long-term care insurance is truly much more difficult to get underwritten for than life insurance or disability income insurance. So depending on the circumstances and depending on your um, your ability to pay and, and things like that, we, we are really looking at anywhere between 45 and 55, that that range in, in terms of when we're starting to look at, hey, is it appropriate? Does this fit into your overall plan? And should we, should we start considering it? You mentioned uh, it's more expensive for women. You are... Uh you specialize in that you focus on you wrote a book I've, I've known you for 18 minutes um, I'm uncomfortable saying the name of the book so it's I just <laughs> I feel I don't want to disrespect money B yeah money, money B money B asterisk I T C H um, <laughs> so you you, uh, you co-authored this with, with Sarah Blankenship I did tell me I mean it's, it's really cool so um, it's awesome. Uh, you can get it at Amazon anytime. Can you see that? There you go. Uh, for those watching on YouTube, um, it's so. Tell me about it. Tell me why. Why did, it's a no BS guide for smart women who want to own their financial future. Um, Marketing-wise, I love it. I love you've gone to this niche mm -hmm. because we want to be everything to everybody, right. and people want to work. With people that specialize, mm -hmm. All right? So you special. So, but what what take me there? Why did you write the book? You know, how did that start? What are you thinking, and why are you focusing on besides the marketing purpose? But why you obviously have a passion uh, for empowering women. So take me take me through this. Well, I I think that there there's so many different components to that, right? Where when it comes to women, we are not always inclined to take care of ourselves first. Okay. Um, and second, there's not a lot available out there. There hasn't been in the past of 
firms that cater specifically to women, to their needs, to how their mindset works in a place where you can show up and feel like you're not going to get judged. You can show up and talk about the stress and the emotions of maybe having to go through fertility treatments, which by the way, cost thousands of dollars and you have to plan for that. Uh, and then getting the right education. And so um, over the years, I, I kept hearing the same thing over and over again. It was the, well, I don't even know the questions to ask, or I don't know who to go to, or I feel uncomfortable, or I'm embarrassed. I feel this feeling of shame that I'm really successful or I've gotten this far, but my money situation isn't where it should be. And so, uh, you know, after you hear, so, or my husband takes care of it, you know, that to me is like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> and so uh, I, I w wanted to create an environment that could be a comfortable, but make a huge huge impact and, and the thought process behind the book was how can we appeal to more women and, and on a broader platform and encourage them to take action. And so with the book, we broke down all the different components of financial planning and every chapter is a different part that we felt was really important. So in the first two chapters actually don't really pertain to financial planning specifically at all. You know, the first chapter is asking for help doesn't mean you're helpless. And the second chapter is you're not a bitch for saying no. Because quite frankly, uh, you know, so many women don't take action because they are either afraid to ask for help or they don't know where to go or they don't take the time out of their day to think about the future. You know, life is, it goes by in a blink and, and often we're doing for everybody else or, or the day-to-day minutiae in the grind of our lives and, and we forget that, hey, there's people out there that can help and want to in fact help, I just need to raise my hand. And, and then the other part is setting healthy boundaries and money limits. And so those first two chapters are really talking about psyche mindset and and putting yourself in the right headspace to actually then put together a financial plan that you don't think about just once but that you are forming new disciplines for for consistency so that you can get results long term forever versus just a short term fix and so the other chapters are are going to break down from spending and and budgeting and life insurance disability insurance planning for um retirement and, and all of those things in between through really fun stories. So we wanted to, to tell it in a way where we want women to read this book and say, oh my gosh, me too, or I'm not the only one, or I didn't think of that. And, and the hope is after reading the book that they're inspired or empowered to just do something for themselves, even if it's one little thing to take action on to put them into a better space. You mentioned um when what nails on the chalkboard for you is, yes. oh, my husband will do that. I, I think that, I, I don't know the statistic, but I would assume a lot of marriages, a lot of trouble in marriages are financial. We all know that. Right. Um, and a lot of that comes back to communicating mm -hmm. or not communicating, which brings right. into problems. I, I would assume then, uh, make an assumption because we haven't talked about it, but you probably deal with with couples then? Do you work with couples? We do. do, you, do you, I mean, I'm going to go for my personal. My, sure. my wife, when I say, oh, we got to discuss whatever, especially if it's insurance, talking about when I'm dead, yeah. you, <laughs> you still want to hear it. Yep. It doesn't want to, you know, I know it needs to be taken care of, you take care of it. And mm -hmm. I try to bring her into that picture so she has an understanding. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I hit my truck here, this is here, this is here, this is, you need to know where everything is. Mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming I'm not alone. And that's a pretty, 
common thing. Yeah. <clears throat> so what do you do in those situations when, when maybe couples just aren't, how do you improve couples communication so they don't run into trouble? Down the road? You know, right. We force it. We, mm. we have this like knack for making people really uncomfortable. Mm, it's, fun. <laughs> um, it, it's actually, you know, a, a chapter in the book is, is couples and money because you're right. It's one of the, the number one reasons people split is because of money problems. And so, you know, I was kind of joking, but not really when, when I say I, I make couples uncomfortable is if you come to us and you're married, most likely I'm going to force the two of you to come together. And it doesn't mean that you have to immediately have joint accounts or that you need to change your rules necessarily, right? If one person's paying the bills, that's okay. You know, you can have yours, mine, and ours accounts. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we force upon in, in being critical about is that you are on the same page about your goals and you talk about them. Because the last thing you want to do as a couple is 10 years from now say, oh, we forgot to talk about that. I want this and he or she wants that and they're two completely different things. And maybe that's a time when your kids are grown and out of the house, your distractions are gone. And now you're rebuilding not only your, your future and your lives together because you never talked about it, you want different things. And so we see that happens a lot for, for people that kind of kick the can down the road or they don't bring it up. And so the most important thing that you can do for your relationship, if you can before you get married or early on, is, is just spell it out. You know, what do we want for each other? What do I want for myself? Because at the end of the day, you're two different people. You don't have to want all the same goals. But what are the compromises that we can put in place to make sure that you guys are going to be able to achieve them and work as a team? When you're married, you are a team and you should utilize each other's strengths and weaknesses as such to make sure that you're on track for retirement, to make sure that if one of you can't go to work, you're prepared for that or you're okay with all of the things that you each want together and then individually as well for for now and the future and then it makes you you know it forces you to have better conversations make better decisions and it takes away a lot of that uncertainty in in regard to even questions as simple as hey you know what we want to move should we move into a, a house that the bank says we can afford mm -hmm. or a house that affords our lifestyle in in what we actually want to do day to day so i would assume you run into a lot of we got to keep up with the Joneses. That's always a problem. It is. Yeah, and, for, for uh, couples too. And it's, it's worse nowadays than it used to be because of social media, right? Mm -hmm. So it's constantly in in front of you and in, in terms of what everybody else is doing and, and whether you want to admit it or not, there's probably moments throughout your day where you're like, ugh, I want to be doing what she's doing or why does she make it look so easy and why am I grinding it out, you know? And and, and the the one rule that I set with with clients is, you know, look, like if you're, if we're going to work together, you have to promise me you're not going to compare yourself to anybody else. Uh, you know, I'm such an advocate that comparison is the thief of joy and, and it really sets you back, you know, and, um, and, and someone else's financial life isn't relevant to yours. And the only thing that you should worry about is what's best for you, your family, and what you want out of life, not someone else. Because what social media doesn't show you or at the surface level of anybody's life is what's underneath it. You know, what kind of debt they have or, or how planned they are or unprepared for that matter. You just don't know. And so um, the best thing that you can do in, in regard to that and keeping up the Joneses is to actually just not pay attention, right? Not pay attention to anybody else but but you and, and really staying on track. And that can help quite a bit. 
Great advice. Great advice. I've got it like 30 seconds, 45 seconds. I hate when people do that. you got 30 seconds to answer something. It's okay. Something. But um, I f you're, uh, you're in a, when people think of financial planners, I think they generally think that it's a man's world. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're breaking through. Uh, how, how, and, and you're also a business owner, too. How difficult has it been? I'm going to tell you, I think it's great because I think it's going to help grow your business. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever. People... I think men trust women more than they trust men, and I bet you women trust women more than they trust men. You have a natural, people are going to trust you. So, but what is it, um, how difficult has it been for you? What are the, what has been in the way? Uh, and how have you broken through to help other women that might be thinking of doing the same thing? Yeah, uh, well, it hasn't been easy. And, and Sarah and I joke all the time, like we're so used to um, being, you know, we'll walk into a room and it's all men. And, and the first question is, you know, who do you work for? Yeah. You know, who do you work for? And we're us, you know, we're it. Leave it, you know, take it or leave it. And, um, or when I go to events with my spouse, uh, you know, everybody assumes he's the financial advisor, which is hilarious mm -hmm. because he's, you know, by, by nature a mechanic. So, uh, you know, but, um, it, it, you know, it, it hasn't been easy and, and I haven't had a mentor un, until actually very recently in, in, in the industry. And, and what I did though is I hired an outside coach and an outside mentor who I sought out and I read a lot of books because I knew it didn't have to be as hard as, as the, the people around me were making it out to be, but it I'm a slow learner, I suppose, and it, it took me quite a bit of time to have the confidence to ask for help and, and to, to seek assistance outside of where I started in a big company. And, um, and I think for other women out there, and, and more women are actually getting into the industry now, which is really refreshing to see, is to know that it, it doesn't have to be a, a man's world and, and to not do it like the men do it. That was one of the first mistakes that I made is I, I looked at all of my male colleagues and I, I thought I had to be like them. I thought I had to do what they did to be successful. And the truth of the matter is you don't. You know, I, I, it, again, it took me a while to figure it out. But what I realized was I can be successful in this career and do what I want to do and do what lights me up. And, and I can't tell you the number of times I was told it's not going to work or you know somebody told me I can't believe you're working with just women don't you want to make money it's really disappointing but um but they said you know well you you can't do that or it's not going to work or you'll or you'll really struggle and and I, I didn't listen to them, and that was the best thing that I did uh, for my career. And then, of course, you know, Sarah and I going after this together was really saying, "Look, like we're going to be different, and we're going to do what we feel is most important." And at the end of the day, like my number one word for for my company is impact. And if we can make a positive impact and do what we're loving every single day, money's going to follow. You know, it it always does, and and success breeds what you're passionate about you know and so that's really how we've we've come about and, and shifted throughout the years is as i stopped listening to to what was popular and doing what i thought was right that's right it's all about being authentic being right. yourself doing what you believe in and it's congratulations to yeah. you uh congratulations on the business and on the book you can buy it on amazon what's it called again money, money bitch okay <laughs> um I appreciate you, Nicole Overcamp, 
founder CEO of Wilcox Financial Group. Uh, and if you want to see, uh, if you're listening uh, on your favorite podcast, you can, wh- however you download your podcast, you could also go to YouTube or you can go to our, our website for any of, uh, for this particular podcast or any of our previous podcasts, shovelthesidewalk.com. So until next time, that's it for Sidewalk Talk. I'm Steve Fortunato. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching.